welcome to the Faith Heights Church audio podcast. We pray that this message will bless you and feed your faith as you listen in today. First of all, I just want to clarify, I'm going to be reading a lot out of the MEV MEV version of the Bible, which is the modern English version of the Bible, which is really, really, really similar to the King James version. They just take out all the these and thous and stuff like that, which I kind of naturally do when I read it anyways. So um, it'll be really similar. They're going to put King James up, up there, but in case you just notice a couple of slight differences, it's because I'm going to read out of the MEV. But tonight, my message is called an invitation. And I want to ask you, does anybody else notice that there's a shift? That something is different in the spirit realm? Because it is, right? There is, God is doing things in the spirit realm that I don't think have ever been done before. And I'm really excited about it. He is preparing us for a new thing. And, um, He's preparing us for the outpouring of his glory. And it, it's going to be an amazing, amazing time. You know, um, we've talked a lot about the fact that Miss Carla kind of brought it up um, way back in March about the fact that we've been talking about the fact that we're the end time church for a long time. But then we had all this stuff happen that was negative and we didn't like it and COVID and rioting and all this stuff. And we're like, wait. We, we, we live in the blessing. And we forgot that God did say that the darkness was going to get darker, right? That these things were going to happen. Somehow we kind of forgot that that's what it was going to look like to be the end time church. But something has shifted because um, God is getting ready to do new, a new thing. He is opening up the windows of heaven in a way that he never has before. And I am so excited about it. And um, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be amazing, really, truly amazing. You know, we don't need to be... Joseph Morris, who does the end of days update, he talks a lot about the, the rapture not being an escape theology, right? It's not about being excited to escape the world um, because we don't have to be excited about escaping this world. We get to experience the glory of God right here. We get to experience his power, his majesty, his wonder right here in Grand Junction, Colorado, or wherever you're from, all you watching online, wherever that you are from, in Louisiana. Oh, which by the way, Pastor and Miss Carla and Mr. Um, Pastor Dominic and Miss Rachel are in Louisiana. They are at uh, Mark and Trina Haken's uh, leadership conference this week. So they're receiving great things. So I'm looking forward to hearing what God has given them this week, absolutely. So I wanna start off in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to go to verse 1. And it says, I would not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, and they were overthrown in the wilderness. 
Now these things were our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted, neither be idolaters as, some, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. Neither let us commit sexual immorality as some of them committed, when 23,000 fell in one day. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Neither murmur, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all of these things happen to them for examples. They are written as an admonition to us, upon whom the end of the ages has come. So, upon who the end of the ages has come. So this is talking about the children of Israel and all, Israel and all the things that they went through. And it says here in 1 Corinthians, that that whole account of what they went through was written for you and I, for the end time church. This year, since the beginning of the year, I've been very interested in the children of Israel and what happened to them. And I don't think that that's a mistake. I think that there, be, there are a lot of parallels that God wants to show us between them and between us. And so tonight I absolutely wanna talk about some of that. Earlier in the year, we were really focusing on Passover. Anybody remember that? Because Passover and Easter fell together, which was a miracle. And it was just, there were a lot of really amazing things that happened there. But there's more to their story than that, more that, that matters to the church today, more than just don't murmur. Because <laughs> that sounds dangerous according to that scripture, right? <laughs> So today I wanted to take you through a part of their story that happens after they had been living in the miraculous for quite some time. After they'd seen the whole Nile River, river turn to blood, after they had been fed supernatural manna from heaven every morning and God would miraculously bring quail every night, after they had gone through the Red Sea on dry ground just to see Pharaoh's army drowned in those same waters moments later. They had seen miracle after miracle. They were delivered from the curse of the firstborn in Egypt um, dying. They had so many miracles. They'd seen the hand of God at work many, many times. And so I wanna talk tonight about what happens to them kind of after that point. But you see, God wasn't calling them after this point to just more miracles. Miracles are great. God is amazing and he wants to do great things in our lives, great things in um, people's lives. Kenneth Hagin used to say, and probably still does, that <laughs> uh, healing and miracles are the dinner bell to the unsaved, right? So it's, it's what draws them to God, what makes them want to see God, um, to, to, to know who he is. Um, but God had something even greater in store for the children of Israel than just miracles at this point in time. And um, he was calling them at that moment, as I believe that he is calling us to his glory. He is calling us to experience his glory. And it's such an amazing thing. Now, it's really important to clarify that at this point, we often believe that once the children of Israel left Egypt, that they were on their way to the promised land. But that is not actually accurate according to scripture. They weren't on their way to the promised land just yet. They were on their way to the mountain of God, to 
to sacrifice and worship. When we read Moses' accounts when he's talking to, to Pharaoh, he said over and over again that they were going to go and worship and sacrifice to their God. That's what they were on their way to do. And I think that that's amazing that Moses knew that he couldn't just take them to the promised land and the promises without first stopping to meet the promiser, right? I don't know about you, but I've known people in my life that have received amazing miracles from God, healings and wonderful things that received their healing, received their miracle, and then walked away and kept going the direction that they were going before. And that is not what God is calling us to do, and it's not what God was calling Israel to do. He wants us to meet the promiser. He wants us to know him intimately. He wants us to know his glory. It is just as true when Moses was taking the children of Israel to the promised land, it is to us today, that God's promises and provisions cannot be emphasized over his character, his nature, and his desire for us to be close to him. It is far more important for us to know him than to just know the benefits, right? We have to keep that in mind. In Word of Faith circles, sometimes there's been times we can get a little off from that where we focus so much on the benefits, the amazing things that God has for us that we forget how amazing that He is and that the whole goal is for us to know Him personally and intimately. So we're going to go to Exodus chapter 19. And we're going to read a lot of scripture tonight. Is that okay? Starting in verse 1, it says, In the third month after the children of Israel had gone forth out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there before the mountain. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I lifted you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So why were they there? God brought them to himself, right? They were standing at the foot of the mountain because God wanted them to know him. That's pretty amazing. I think that that's pretty amazing. It's a, we remember that Egypt is a type of the world, right? So for us, when they talk about them being delivered from Egypt, for us, that's being delivered from the world, from the sin of the world, from the sickness, from all of the things that are contained in the world. And God had brought them out of Egypt, but now he needed to get Egypt out of them right? Just like he needs to get the world out of us. He's brought us out of the world. He's delivered us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But now we have to choose to leave all of that stuff behind. We have to choose to go. As pastor has been talking on Sunday mornings, the, the way of victory, right? We have to choose that way. We have to stop walking down the paths of destruction and misery and sickness and all of those things. We have to choose to go God's way, God's path. 
So it's at this moment that God wants to show them his highest purpose for their life. Because as Christians, what is our highest calling? You know, we, we all have hopes and dreams and things that we want to do in life, things that we believe God has called us to do in life, things that God has helped us create or called us to create and do, jobs that he has for us to do, ministries that he has for us. But is that God's highest call for us? And the answer is no, it's not. Even the greatest ministry in the world is not God's highest call. Our purpose as Christians, our main purpose as Christians is not ministry. It's knowing God. In Philippians 3.10, in the Amplified Version, it says, For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. Our purpose is to know God, to know him intimately. So going back to our scripture, he brought them to himself. In verse five, it says, Now therefore, if you will faithfully obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my special possession out of all the nations, for all the earth is mine, and you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Indeed, I am going to come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak to you and always believe in you. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothes and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people on Mount Sinai. You shall set boundaries for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that you go not up the mountain or touch its border. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. No hand will touch him, but he will surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, he will not live. And when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. Other translations bring it out even more clearly. They shall come up the mountain. The whole point here is for them to come up the mountain and meet their creator, meet the living God, to experience his glory for themselves. So they were told to wash themselves, right? Wash themselves, wash their clothes. But we don't have to do that, right? Because we have the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. We don't have to wash ourselves, do we? Or do we? Holiness is for our grandparents, right? We can just live under grace and call it good. No, we can't. We can just 1 John 1, 9 everything, right? And just live in the forgiveness of God. No, we can't. Not if we want to walk that path of victory that we've been talking about on Sunday mornings. We can't. The Christian is not called to live a life of forgiveness. We are called to live a life of repentance. And that is a very different thing. That is turning around and going the other way. It is making a quality decision to not go that path anymore, to not choose that way anymore. 
not just to keep asking for forgiveness over and over and praise God that forgiveness is available to us over and over and over and over again. Raise both hands if you've needed it over and over and over and over and again. We all have, right? But there is a better way. There is a way of repentance where we can actually change and go a different direction, go God's path, choose his path. Repentance is important. And when it comes to cleansing ourselves, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, it says, and he's talking to Christians here, let's clarify that. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it continues and says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So holiness is not just for our grandparents. It's for us, right? It truly is. It is a way for us to separate ourselves from this world, not to be call ourselves better than them or anything along those lines, but for, to make ourselves available for more of the glory of God, for more of the power of God. Because we cannot just continue, we cannot not continue, we cannot walk a life of doing whatever we want and just calling grace over it and think that that means that we qualify for the great things of God. It doesn't work that way right? We do have to be proven. We have to be tested. We have to be, we have to want God. We have to show that we actually want God in our lives. In James 4, 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is how we draw near to God. We cleanse ourselves. We separate ourselves so that he can draw near to us because God is an all-consuming fire, right? Sin cannot stand in the presence of God. God would not rain down his glory upon any person that is living in sin because he loves you and wouldn't want you to die. <laughs> He's a good God. He's gracious and merciful. In the Garden of Eden, we have this picture sometimes of God being angry with Adam and Eve, but the truth is he's a father who loves them. And here now he has his children that have just, you know, had a really bad boo-boo and he cannot scoop them up in his arms and save them. He cannot help them. He cannot hug them and walk and talk with them anymore because they have sin on them. And his presence now is dangerous to them. Sin cannot live in the presence of God. So we want, to separate ourselves from this world, from the sin of this world, so that we can qualify for the glory of God, to see more and more and more of him. Two days stood between Egypt and meeting the living God and his magnificent glory. Were they ready? Would they be ready? Are we ready to see the glory of God? Let's keep reading, verse 14. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. He said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near your wives. 
So on the third day in the morning, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of an exceedingly loud trumpet. All the people who were in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely covered in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. And the smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain shook violently. Can you imagine what that was probably like? <laughs> they trembled. That sounds really scary. <laughs> this is God's glory manifesting in the earth, right? God is glorious. He's amazing. The Bible calls him marvelous, calls him awesome, calls him wonderful. We just sang a song about our God is greater. Our God is amazing and mighty and wonderful and great. And we have cheapened those words so much. We call everything awesome, right? And when we do that, sometimes we forget how big God is and how amazing he is. And the Bible says that creation preaches for God, right? So um, it, it just the, our own solar system, is, is, it preaches for God. It's amazing. You know, if the sun was a basketball, well, actually, let me tell you this. Did you know you could fit more than a million Earths inside the sun? That's how big the sun is compared to the Earth. That's pretty amazing. But if the sun was the size of a basketball and sitting on this podium, right here, you could not fit the largest star in the Milky Way galaxy, just in our galaxy, in this room. The sun is a yellow dwarf. It's not even that big of a star compared to what we know of as other stars. In fact, if the sun was a basketball and it was in Miami, you would have to go all the way to Seattle to get to the next closest star in the Milky Way galaxy. That's how big the universe is. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's have you guys ever seen those videos where they show you like, here's the earth, here's the sun, here's this planet, that planet, and how it all gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's amazing. And when you think about that, and then you think about the fact that there are over 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone, that's a lot right? And there are over a hundred billion galaxies that we know about. That's as far as we've been able to see. A hundred billion galaxies. And in Isaiah, it says that God measures the universe by the span of his hand. How big is our God that the whole universe cannot even hold him? so much bigger than we could ever imagine. How big is his glory? How amazing is he? How awesome is he? He is far beyond what I think that we've ever imagined. I don't think that God is who we think he is. I think he is so much bigger and so much mightier and so much more glorious and so much more amazing than we've ever been able to even come close to thinking. God is awesome. Marissa just waved at me. <laughs> he is so wonderful. So again, they had seen God do the miraculous time and time again. 
but what would be their response to God's invitation to see his glory? Because he wanted them to come up that mountain, right? So let's continue reading. Oh, we're actually, we're gonna skip to 20, chapter 20, and we're gonna go to verse 18, so. It says, all the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning and the sound of the trumpets. You guys remember the trumpet, this long sound, right? When the trumpet sounds, they're gonna come up the mountain. And the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and they stood at a distance. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God, do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you so that the fear of him may be before you so that you do not sin. But the people stood a distance away as Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So their whole purpose of being there is to go meet their maker, to go meet God face to face, to see him face to faces. He had to be shrouded in all that smoke and everything because his glory is too great. Um, but to, to meet God, the living God, their whole purpose to be there was to meet him. And they stood a distance afar back. They drew away from God, not close to him. They were comfortable in their sin and they were uncomfortable in obeying God. Let that not be us. How heartbreaking that had to be for God. The whole purpose we read in chapter, or in chapter 19, verse 4, he brought them to himself, and they drew away. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking, disappointing. It's so sad. And in Deuteronomy, in chapter 5, there's even more enlightenment when Moses is later telling later people what happened here and he said that they said go near and hear all that the lord our god will say then speak to us all that the lord god our god will speak to you and we will hear it and do it how could they think that way how could they think i want you to go hear from god i don't want to hear from god myself how could that be their mindset how could they just say pass on the presence of the living God. I'm not judging them. This is an example for us. We are supposed to learn something about ourselves in this, right? Why would anyone refuse an audience with the living God? Because for us to think that this isn't gonna happen to anybody in these end times when the glory of God comes on this earth is for us to be very short-sighted. There will be people who turn away from God, right? You know, in the Bible, when it talks about in the end times, people will be all these things, lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. Well, the world is already lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. So he's not talking about the world there. He's talking about Christians who choose, or people who at one time at least called themselves Christians, who choose to walk away, who choose their own way and their own thing. Let us not be those people. And in verse 28 in Deuteronomy chapter 5, God shocks Moses and he says, they're right. They shouldn't come up the mountain. <laughs> That's crazy, right? God called them there for this purpose. 
Then he's like, no, they should not come up the mountain. They are right. How could that be? How could that be the right choice? The children of Israel lacked something really, really important. They were afraid to hear from God themselves. They were afraid of God, but they did not have the fear of God, which is a completely different thing. And the fear of God will cause us to honor God. It will cause us to reverence God. It will cause us to keep his commandments, to do what he says, right? It will cause us to respect him that much, to put it into practice in our lives, to do what he says. In verse 29, God says, if you could hear the heartbreak in his voice in this, oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. But they didn't want to come up higher. They wanted to keep their ways. Let us not be like that. How do we not be like that? James 4.4 4 in the, I put two, two versions down here. It's either the NLT or the Amplified. I don't know why I put two of them down. It says, do you not know that being the world's friend, loving the things of this world is being God's enemy? Right? And in verse 30, we see Israel's darkest hour. So Deuteronomy 5.30, God says, go say to them, return to your tents. Go back. It's over. You're not coming up the mountain. You're not meeting the living God. Go back. How sad. Return to your tents. He might as well have said, go back to your miserable, pitiful lives. Go back to your sin, your strife, your lack, your slave mentality. Go back to Egypt in your heart instead of God. Right? Super sad. I don't think that that is us. I believe that every person in this room is here because you want more of God. You want to see the glory of God. You want to draw closer to his face and not just his hand, right? Praise God. How do we get to the point where we're the ones who go up the mountain? Philippians 3.8 in the Amplified says, but more than that, I count everything as loss as compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy unequaled. For his sake, I've lost everything and I consider it all garbage that I may gain Christ. And you know, so when the children of Israel didn't go up the mountain, God chose instead one guy to go up with Moses, the guy who did everything with Moses, Aaron, right? So he's like, well, Aaron's going to come up then, right? And Aaron didn't do that. <laughs> so he actually stopped partway up the mountain with the rest of the priests, and then Moses went up into the glory of God and met with God. Aaron didn't go. He stopped. And Moses was up in that, that cloud for a long time, right? The, the God number, 40 days. He was up there for 40 days, a long time for people to wonder with the mountain shaking and it feeling real scary up there if Moses is even still alive, right? <laughs> so Aaron, instead of being like, I wonder what happened to Moses, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go find him. He went back 
to the tents with the children of Israel. And um, you guys remember the story, but the children of Israel were getting anxious and, and they wanted something to worship that they could see. And so they wanted a, a God that they could see with their eyes. And so they asked Aaron to make them a God. And Aaron told them all to give them all his earrings. And he fashioned out of those earrings a golden calf and they worshiped the golden calf. And Moses comes down the mountain and he is real mad, right? <laughs> and what happens next is, it's very sad, don't get me wrong, but on one hand, it's one of the funniest moments in the Bible. And I think that there should be a book of the funniest things in the Bible. I'm gonna give you an example. This is unrelated to the story, so we're gonna take a break from Aaron for a second. <laughs> but in the book of John, when Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb to find Jesus and he's not there, and she runs back to the disciples to be like, they took his body, what's going on? And <laughs> so John, who always calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved, and Peter, who are best friends, by the way, they go running to the tomb, but this is the book of John, not the book of Peter. And so it says, it's, a, it's in like chapter 20, it's one of the best things in the world. It says, in the word, I guess technically, it says, and the disciple that Jesus loves and Peter ran toward the tomb, but the disciple that Jesus loves ran faster and got there first. <laughs> There's no reason for John to tell us that <laughs> other than for him to be like, look, Peter, for the rest of eternity, it's in the Bible, I beat you. <laughs> so in this moment, it's a very sad moment with Aaron, going back to Aaron, but it's also kind of funny. So Moses comes down and he's so mad and he comes to Aaron because Aaron's in charge, right? And he's, what happened? What, what did you do? And Aaron literally says, they wanted a God. So I told them to give me all of their earrings and I put them in the fire and this just came out. <laughs> this is just what happened, right? <laughs> Which is the answer of like a four-year-old. Any of you guys ever had like a four-year-old that gave an answer like that? <laughs> no judgment, Aaron. I promise. No judgment. I just think it's funny, but it's also very sad. Um, so why did Aaron react that way? Why didn't he? He'd seen all of the great things that God had done firsthand. A lot of the children of Israel just kind of experienced it, right? Aaron had seen it firsthand. Why wouldn't he go up the mountain? What happened there? So Aaron, like some people in this room, I, I, maybe not me, maybe me, might understand, was a little bit of a people pleaser, right? And so he wanted to make Moses happy and he wanted to make the people happy. And we get some clues as to what happened with Aaron when we go to the end of the Bible. So we're gonna go to Revelation chapter three. I promise I'm closing. And in the book of Revelations, we find John having a vision, the disciple that Jesus loved that beat Peter in a race <laughs> to the tomb. <laughs> There's probably gonna be like tomb races in heaven. <laughs> and every time John will always win. <laughs> 
or we'll get to race and one of us will get to play John and one will get to play Peter. Sorry, I work in children's churches. This is how my mind thinks, I apologize. <laughs> but John gets the revelation of seven messages to seven churches. And although, the, the, although these were messages to those specific churches, a lot of Bible scholars agree that these were messages regarding seven church ages, not just specific churches, and that they're in chronological order. So if they're in chronological order, then which one are we? The seventh one, which is Laodicea. And so it says in Revelation 3, verses 14 through 16, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says these things. Don't you just love reading that part? I just love it, I'm gonna do it again, sorry. The amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says these things. I know your works, that you are neither hot, or excuse me, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Other translations actually bring it out even more correctly. It says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And this is Jesus. These are red letters. Jesus is saying this. And then in verse 19, it says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So I used to hate this scripture. <laughs> not hate, that's a strong word, sorry, Lord. I used to really, really not like this scripture. And the reason why is because I was lukewarm, right? And you, you, I, it was a very uncomfortable scripture for me to feel like I was in a situation where God would want to vomit me out of his mouth. It's a scary thing. But we can learn a little bit about Aaron through this scripture. See, Aaron, when you think of him being lukewarm, was able to mix and mingle with Moses and with Moses talking to God just as easily as he was able to go and mix and mingle with the people who were cold. When you're lukewarm, you can mix and mingle with what is hot just as easily as you can mix and mingle with what is cold and you can blend into either group no, and, and you don't stand out in either group. That's not good. <laughs> it's not good. We, we should stand out to the world. We should be separate. We should be different. I've said it from the pulpit before and I will probably say it, say it again, but we are called to be different. We are not just called to dress more conservatively than the world. We are called to be separate. We aren't called to be lukewarm. We're not called to mix so easily with the world. We are called to light the world on fire with the passion of God, to break down the walls of the church and bring the living word, the power of Almighty God, the presence of God to this world because they desperately need him. And we are Jesus to this world. He operates in and through us. We're the ones who have to bring that to the world. We are called to reconcile the world to God. You are called to reconcile the world to God. You were called to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. 
You are called to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. This is not just for you know, traveling ministers and pastors. This is for every single person sitting in this room or watching this. Every one of us is called to these things. We are the ones who are supposed to crave the gifts to be used of God. You are being called up the mountain, we all are. We are being called to separate ourselves from this world, to not operate in their things, their fear and their, their way that they're doing things. Why would we even want to be a part of that? right? They're miserable. They're absolutely miserable. And miserable things on this earth are not going to stop. But living in the glory of God, we certainly won't see as many of them, right? Did you know that, you know, at night, if we walked outside, if it was clear, I don't think it is, we would see all the stars, right? But at least we know that they're there. But do we ever think about that during the day, the stars are still there? Why can't we see them? Because the glory of the sun is brighter than their glory. And the glory of our God is far brighter than any of the darkness that happens in this world. And when we live in him, when we live in his glory, when we live in the purpose and the way that he has for us, it drowns out all of that. It's such an amazing thing. We are being called up that mountain. And I hope that every person in this room will take that calling and will walk up that mountain and not be found far off being like, no, I don't want to change. I don't want, I don't want to lay these sins aside. I don't want to lay these weights aside. We are called to fellowship with the promiser and not just receive his promises. For the third time, I would like to quote Philippians 3.8 in the Amplified that says, but more than that, I count everything as loss compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy unequaled. For his sake, I have lost everything, and I consider it all garbage so that I may gain Christ. Sorry, that was the first time I read that one. I was getting it confused with something else. I count it all garbage, everything garbage compared to knowing Christ. That's amazing. And I don't want you to take this message as a you need to do more kind of a message. It's not that. It's that we need to change our heart. We need to change our attitude. God knows how much time each one of us have in our lives. He's not calling every single person to pray all day and whatever, you know, um, because he knows that everybody's life is different. But what he is asking for us is that we separate ourselves from the world and whatever time that he has given us to spend with him, that we remember that we have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in those moments. And we respect and reverence and honor that time. And we don't just rush through reading our Bible, rush through our prayer time, but that we take it seriously and we remember and we stand in awe of him in those moments. And we really reverence him. We have that fear of God in our lives, operating in our lives. So important that we just make that heart change for the time that we do have for God. And I believe that when that happens, he will multiply our time with him. He will. He will give us more opportunities to spend time with him. And, and he'll make the time that we do have with him even more precious, even more special. He's such a good God. He's such a good God. 
Let's pray. Father God, we just love you. We come to you, Father God, and we worship you. You are amazing, Father God. You are everything, Lord. You are so wonderful. You are so much bigger, so much greater, so much more awesome than we could have ever imagined. Oh, hallelujah, we love you so much. We come to you today, Father God, and we just declare to you right now, Father God, that we want to go up the mountain. We want to see your glory. We wanna separate ourselves from the things of this world, Father, and we ask you to help us to do that. We ask you to show us how, Father God, show us what. Open our eyes, Father God. Help us to see the things that are no longer serving us in your plan in our lives, Father. Help us, I pray, Father God, to remember when we come into prayer to you, when we start to read your precious word that is alive and powerful, that we have an audience with the living God who measures the entire universe by the span of his hand. You are great and mighty and wonderful and awesome. And we love you, Father God. We worship you, Father God. Oh, Father God, thank you. Glory to you, Lord. Glory to you, Lord. Glory to you, Lord. And if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know Jesus, as their personal Lord and Savior. Or maybe you've made Jesus your, Lord, your Savior before, but you've never made him your Lord. You've never made him the one that you turn to for your decisions in life. The one that you respect his word above everything else in your life. Now is the time to do that. There is no time to waste. Pray after me, Father God, I come to you. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for my sin. I believe that he rose from the dead. And I believe he lives today. And Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord, my Savior, my Master. I ask you to draw me to you, to your face. Help me to know you so deeply, so intimately, that everything else in my life is like garbage. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Father God. We love you so much. We love you so much. We worship you, Lord. Let's just worship the Lord. Let's raise our hands and just tell him how great he is, how much we love him. God, you are awesome. You are so wonderful, so great. We worship you. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory to you, Lord, hallelujah. Amen. Praise you, Father God. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information about this ministry, visit faithheights.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. To sow into this ministry, visit faithheights.org and click on the Donate tab.